I'm going to read from God's word. I'm going to read John 6, 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of, the, of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Thanks, Alex. Uh, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you have given your people uh, to your Son, and you know exactly who they are. And so that we look to our Lord Jesus, who says from his word, he will never cast us out. That Lord Jesus, you are someone that we can come to and be guaranteed that you will never cast us out. And so God, I, I just want to pray for all of us that, God, we would lean into that promise from Scripture. As we begin this series tonight of looking at work and rest and looking at the busyness of our lives, that, God, we would find rest in you by coming to you. God, that you would teach us, teach our hearts what it looks like to slow down and to see purpose and meaning in what we do, whether it is working to the glory of God or resting to the glory of God, that you would help us to find rest for our souls. So God, would you be with us tonight? Would you meet with us tonight as we sit under the teaching of your word, that Lord God, we would trust the promise that you have given us from your word, that you will never cast us out. So God, be with us, bless us, as we praise your holy name, Lord Jesus, we pray it in your name. Amen. Tonight, we're going to be starting a new series on work and rest, uh, seeing what the Bible has to say on uh, these topics, knowing that they are both, um, they both have to do with one another. And I think we're going to see that from our text tonight. We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 11. Um, but before we dive into the text, uh, I just want to... Um, give you a disclaimer ahead of time. A lot of what I'm going to say tonight is not original uh, to me. Uh, I, I read two fantastic books uh, last year um, on rest and on the, the beauty of Jesus Christ and His invitation that we're going to see tonight. Um, both these books draw on our text tonight, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Um, the first book is by John Mark Comer, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, it's a great book we're going to draw uh, from tonight. And then the second, it's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, the reason I share these books with you is, one, because I've, I'm going to be drawing from them uh, a well of knowledge tonight uh, on what they've written, but as well as because I want to put good, godly resources in front of you. 
Um, I know a lot of you are readers, and so it, it's not going to be a hassle trying to persuade you to read a good book. And so I, I present them to you. Some of you aren't readers. And so here's what I tell you. These are great books to inspire you to get into the practice of reading. Uh, they are worth your time. Uh, both of them are exceptional books. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and Gentle and Lowly. I want to start tonight with an illustration. Uh, an English traveler uh, traveled to uh, the continent of Africa. And when he arrived, uh, he wanted to explore and venture into the jungles. And so he recruited some of the natives of uh, the, the local uh, community to uh, carry a lot of his, his tools and his supplies throughout the, the jungle. Uh, and so after a laborious day of traveling on foot and a difficult night of not much sleep, uh, he awoke very excited about continuing on in the journey. Uh, but he awoke uh, to the, the men he had hired, uh, his workers, who they were, they were tired and they weren't willing to move any further. Uh, and so they just kind of stayed put. And so he's exasperated. He, he doesn't get it. He, he's, he's conjoling them and bribing them and pleading, and, and nothing moved them. And so finally, he, he asks his tra translator, what, what's the matter? What, what's going on? And the translator said to him, they're waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. They are waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. A good place for us to start in this series of work and rest is to just acknowledge where many of us are. We are, as John Mark Comer says in his book, hurry sick. We are hurry sick. I get this phrase from John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he says, hurry is a form of violence on the soul. Hurry is a form of violence on the soul. How do I know if I'm hurry sick? You may be asking. Well, the good thing is he gives us 10 symptoms of hurry sickness that I want to relay to you uh, for the purposes of tonight. 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. The first is irritability. Irritability. You get mad, you get frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. Irritability. I believe we have these on the screen, uh, or will. The second, hypersensitivity. Hypersensitivity. Minor things escalate to major emotional events hypersensitivity. Third, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you cannot relax. Restlessness. Workaholism. You just don't know when to stop. Striving after achievement or accumulation. Workaholism. Fifth, emotional numbness. Emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel another's pain. 
emotional numbness. Out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and your calling. Out of order priorities. Seventh, lack of care for your body. Lack of care for your body. You, you don't have time for the basics. Sleep, exercise, healthy diet. Lack of care for your body. Escapist behaviors. You're too tired to recuperate, so you indulge in distraction. Escapist behaviors. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. Slippage of spiritual disciplines. You neglect the things that are truly life-giving. Slippage of spiritual disciplines. And then finally, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and even your own soul. Isolation. These are 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. Now, I would doubt that you struggle with all these, but I don't want to just, I don't know, maybe you do to some extent. But one of these surely stands out to you of, yep, I see that in my life. And I think you, you, are, you have a fair share of company in all of us because if we're just being honest, life in America is a rush. We're all in a rush. And so we could all experience hurry sickness to some extent. I want to start here because what we have to look at in the text tonight is actually going to help us quite a bit. Uh, you see, hurry sickness kills everything we love and hold dear. It makes it so that we never truly live. In fact, there's a quote uh, from John Ortberg that I'd love uh, for us to put our attention towards. It says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted, rushed, and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Do you get what he's saying? It, it, the danger is not that we would renounce our faith altogether. It's that we would settle for a mediocre faith that produces and bears no real fruit because we're too distracted, rushed, and preoccupied with things that don't matter. So I want you to envision you on your deathbed. At the end of your life, as you recount and reflect on the life that you lived, and ask yourself, was I lacking? Did, did, I, did I live the life I wanted to? Maybe you're not surrounded by people you love on your deathbed. 
Maybe all you have are the people that are paid to be there or a smartphone on your nightstand table in the hospital with access to thousands of people that you don't know well and they don't know you well. Maybe enough to post something on your Facebook wall or in your Instagram comment section, but not enough to be there for you. I don't want that for any of you. I don't want that for myself. I want to live a life that is truly meaningful, that bears fruit of faith. And so that requires us to slow down and and really look at this hurry sickness for what it is. It's a disease that could kill everything we know and love and hold dear. That if we are practicing Christians, it can kill our faith. Not make us renounce our faith, but live a mediocre one. Here's the good news. Jesus sees you in your current state. He sees where you're at. He knows you intimately, and he wants to help. In fact, he invites you to himself. So let's look at our text tonight. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's say a quick word of prayer, just asking that Jesus would teach us. Lord God, would you be with us now? As you invite us to come to you, Lord God, would you see this moment as us coming to you, asking for help in the midst of our hurry sickness? God, we want rest for our souls. And if you want rest for your souls, would you just offer up a small prayer to him, asking him for the rest that only Jesus can provide? Well, Lord God, we love you. And we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't want to act like I have it all together or have it all figured out, because I don't. And this is proof Uh, I've shared this with some of you. Back in September, life was pretty busy for me. And it wasn't until I lifted a bowl of strawberry oatmeal out of the microwave and had a back spasm that I had to see that for what it was. I was living in the rush. I was being distracted and preoccupied that I wasn't taking good care of my health or building margin into my life. Right back in September, YA worship got kicked off. Home groups were getting kicked off. I started a discipleship on Monday nights. It's Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, packed. Until Thursday morning, I pick a bowl of oatmeal out of the microwave and have a back spasm. So I don't have it all figured out. I'm still learning. And and so I'm, I'm inviting you guys in on this with me as I wrestle with the text for myself. 
trying to figure out what does the balance between work and rest look like for Andrew Cross. So I find it comforting that from this passage, we see Jesus welcomes all. Jesus welcomes all who are in search of true rest in the midst of heavy work. Jesus welcomes all who are in search of true rest in the midst of heavy work. And and isn't that what we saw in our scripture reading that Alex read beautifully tonight? From John chapter 6, specifically verse 37. It said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. What a beautiful promise from Scripture. In fact, I want to teach you a a trick for your own study of the Bible. If you're really looking at how can I get the most out of one single verse from the Bible, here's a really cool studying method. Take every word in that verse and put the emphasis on that word in particular. So for instance, all that come All that the Father gives me will come to me. So all, everyone, not most, not some, all, okay? All that the Father gives to me. That this is a triune work, right? That the Father, the first person of the Holy Trinity gives to the Son, the second person person of the Trinity. And the son's not having to twist his arm to do it, is he? It's the father's delight. All that the father gives, he is happy and delighted to give. All that the father gives me will come to me, will come to me, that it's a guarantee. It's not a maybe. So do you kind of see how that helps in your own study of the Bible by just looking at that for what it is in the verse, one word at a time? It's a beautiful promise, especially when you look at that last phrase, I will never cast out. I will never cast out all who come to me. I will never cast out. And I can hear some of you in your minds still objecting. But Lord, I've been so irritated and frustrated with my life. I will never cast out. But Lord, I've made mountains out of molehills. I will never cast you out. But Lord, I cannot seem to catch my breath. I will never cast you out. But Lord, I've had so much that needs to get done. I will never cast you out. But Lord, I felt numb to everyone around me. I will never cast you out. But Lord, 
I've put so many things before you and your people. I will never cast you out. But Lord, I've been a terrible steward of my body. I will never cast you out. But Lord, I've sought fleeting pleasures and things that you hate. I will never cast you out. But Lord, I've stopped doing the things that draw me closer to you. I will never cast you out. But Lord, I've pushed you and others away for so long. I will never cast you out. Do you see? You see what a beautiful promise that is from Scripture, a beautiful invitation that if we come to Jesus, he will never cast us out. No matter what you've done, no matter what you have done or haven't done, Jesus receives you. If you just come to him, he will never cast you out. Jesus doesn't cast out anyone who comes to him. When we come to Jesus, he gives us rest for our souls. It's in that first verse, in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or maybe in your translation, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Jesus invites you to come to him and he promises to give you rest. And if you aren't currently experiencing rest for your soul, that might be because you aren't as near to Jesus as you thought you were. So let's get to the bottom of it. It's a shame to think that many Christians have strayed from Jesus. Especially when you consider that Jesus is worthy of coming to because he is gentle and lowly. Jesus is worth coming to because he is gentle and lowly. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We're going to talk about what yoke is and what Jesus is saying here, but before I do, I just want to focus our attention on that phrase, I am gentle and lowly at heart. Out of the four Gospels, that show us and, and teach us on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, 89 chapters in all, we have one phrase in which Jesus describes his own heart, and it's right here. He says he's gentle and lowly. We've spoken a little bit about what does the Bible mean when it says heart. It's not necessarily the thing that's pumping your chest, right? 
In fact, Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, the heart in biblical terms is not a part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines us and directs us. And if that's true for us as human beings, then it's true for Jesus Christ and His humanity. That at the heart of who He is, what defines Him and directs Him is that He is gentle and lowly. What does He mean by that? Well, gentle, meek, humble, gentle. Dane Ortland says, Jesus is not trigger happy. Not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Lowly. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all His resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, His supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one human in history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites. No hoops to jump through. He is lowly. Gentle and lowly. This, according to his own testimony, is the very heart of Jesus Christ. This is who he is. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring his own teaching with the reply, gentle and lowly. In fact, Dane Ortland has an illustration where he said, if Jesus had a blog and it had an about me section, it would say, I am gentle and lowly at heart. This is who we come to when we are overworked and weighed down. We turn to Jesus Christ, who is gentle and lowly at heart. And then we need to see Jesus' yoke is worth taking on because it is easy and light. Jesus' yoke is worth taking on because it is easy and light. To understand what Jesus is communicating uh, uh, to us and commanding of those who would come to him, uh, we have to understand what does he mean by this word yoke. Um, so yoke is a, uh, it's a, it's an agricultural instrument. All right, that's a fancy word for saying it. It's something you would use on a farm, right? It's a, it's a crossbar, um, a heavy crossbar used for farming. Uh, it connects two oxen to one another so that they can work together in the field. Um, And so they shoulder a heavy load together, right? They're both focused on the same thing in front of them, the task at hand. And they both concentrate on doing the will of the farmer. 
Uh, we're, they're moving at the, the same pace, usually because one a weaker ox, ox is attached to a stronger ox. And so he's the one that's setting the pace of doing the plowing, of, of going through the farm and doing whatever needs to be done. And so we see right away the word picture that Jesus is creating for us so that we understand what exactly he's saying when he says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is the stronger ox, inviting us to hitch next to him and to go at his pace as we're focused on the same goals of doing the will of the farmer. He's right there with us in the midst of the work. That's what we're to kind of gain from this word picture. Now, the yoke was also an idiom to, to teach about uh, teaching. It's basically one's teaching, which is why Jesus says after this, learn from me. Then he? he said, take my yoke upon uh, take your take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So it's an idiom for one's teaching that we are to adopt his teaching. He's inviting us to come to him and he will not cast us out, but we are expected to listen to him as he leads. We are to learn from him a better way to live. And we would be wise to do this as he describes his yoke is easy and light. Now, Ortland goes on to explain, Jesus is not saying life is free of pain or hardship. That's not the use of the word easy there. In fact, that word easy is the same word used elsewhere uh, for kind, as in be kind to one another, out of Romans uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 4. Jesus is using a kind of irony, saying that the yoke laid upon his disciples is kind of a non-yoke for it is a yoke of kindness. It's like telling a drowning man to, to take on the burden of a life preserver. It's a non-yoke. And then later in, uh, in John Mark Comer's book, he says, Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism that sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering an escape, he offers us equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his teachings, which, I mean, you look, we're in Matthew. We didn't stray far from the Sermon on the Mount, did we? And so we've studied the Sermon on the Mount in full. We know what Jesus has taught. And so we see the need for obedience to his teaching here as we develop a, a balance that he gives us, a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way that we have currently been living. In other words, something needs to change. Right? Maybe we say we've adopted the practices and teachings of Jesus Christ, but our life would say otherwise because we're hurry sick. 
if we stand any chance of striking the balance between work and rest, we have to start here. For the sake of our souls, we have to adopt the teachings of Jesus Christ and practice them. And so in the weeks ahead, as we look at what the Bible says on work and rest, how do I glorify God in my workplace? How do I rest and actually relax and Shabbat, stop working, be still, and know that Christ is Lord? We, we can get into that, but we've got to start here. Am I practicing the teachings of Jesus Christ? Am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? So that when he, the stronger ox, slows down, I slow down. When he says speed up, I speed up. And am I fixed on the same goal, the will of the farmer? You've got to answer those questions first. You've got to do the soul work. Have I come to Jesus or have I strayed? Because we know it's when we draw near to Jesus, as he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, that that's when we actually rest. I'm not just talking about physical rest. I'm talking about soul rest. And so you got to begin to answer those questions. I cannot answer them for you. You got to start looking at your own soul before you, before you start looking at your workplace and changing that. Some of you are like, I'm done with my work. I want to get promoted or move out somewhere else. That's fine, but your problems are going to follow you as your soul catches up to your body. So let's all agree to come to Jesus. You must come to Jesus and take up His yoke to find rest for your soul. That's your big takeaway tonight. You must come to Jesus and take up his yoke to find rest for your soul. If you're far from Jesus, draw near to him. He will never cast you out. Cling to that promise. Don't let go. You think about all the people that Jesus ministered to, all being all around the crowds, and how people were reaching after him just to touch him. Do you strive after Jesus in your relationship with him like that? Because that's the only way you're going to find true rest for your soul. You must come to Jesus and take up his yoke to find rest for your soul. Let that kind of set the frame for where we're headed. Take the next week, think through, am I resting in Jesus Christ? And then we'll start to define what godly work looks like, what godly rest looks like, what the Bible has to say elsewhere. But we've got to start here. As Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest Come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke 
it's easy. My burden, it's light. Let's trust Jesus at his word. Let's come to him and find rest for our souls.